Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. If you're joining with us, either online or in person, we're so glad that you're here to be a part of uh, this Easter Sunday where we really gather together to consider, reflect on, and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So uh, this morning, if you're new to the church, my name's Don, one of the pastors here at Grace, and we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture this morning in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. So if you want to follow along with your Bible or Bible app, or if you want, we'll have the verses up on the screen. You can track with them that way as well. And the title for the message today is Doubting Thomas. Well, the evening of Sunday, April 14th, was reasonably uneventful. The sea was flat and calm. The air was brisk, but there was no wind. The night was a sea of stars as there was no moon to dim the view. Most passengers were now getting ready to retire for the evening. Some first-class passengers could be found in the lounge playing bridge and other card games. There was talk about a couple of ice warnings which had been received during the day from other steamers. No calls for alarm. Actually, throughout the day, they had received seven ice warnings from various vessels in their vicinity. Watching the sunset from the aid deck outside the aft grand staircase, first-class passengers, Mrs. Marion Thayer and Mrs. Emily, Emily Ryerson, met J. Bruce Ismay, managing director of the White Star Line. He tells them, we're among the icebergs, reading a telegram sent by the vessel Baltic warning of ice. Despite the numerous warnings, no adjustment was made in the speed of the ship, as it was rumored that Titanic could po quite possibly beat Olympic's maiden voyage speed record in getting to New York. Many felt she would dock on Tuesday morning, April 16th, instead of her scheduled arrival on the morning of the 17th. Well, most of you know the rest of the story. The failure to respond to the several ice warnings that were received, the choice to continue on at full speed rather than respond to that information and slow the ship down would result in devastating consequences. 1,500 of the 2,200 passengers lost their lives when the Titanic went down after it struck an iceberg in the North Atlantic on April 15, 1912. And the Titanic was scheduled to dock in New York exactly 110 years ago this morning. But ignoring the many ice warnings, it never made it, and it was lost. You know, we live in a world today where information comes at us constantly from all sides. Every day we're bombarded literally with information, opportunities, situations that touch our lives in some way or another. And most of these, honestly, we ignore or pay little attention to because we assume that they have little or no value or impact on our life. Sometimes we're right, 
And sometimes we're not. I mean, there are those times which demand a response from us. I mean, you wake up in the middle of the night and smell smoke. Or you get that phone call that tells you your child has been taken to the hospital. But many times, the things that turn out to be extremely important, they don't scream at us to immediately respond like some crisis does. You know, maybe it's that nagging pain in your lower abdomen that just doesn't seem to ever go away and your family members keep saying to you, you really need to get that checked out. Or maybe it's things like just fitting time in our schedules to spend time with our kids. So as we gather together on this Easter Sunday to reflect on the resurrection, I want to ask, how should we consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is it just an interesting story or some unusual event that we can ignore because it has little or no real value or impact on our life? Or is it one of those extremely important things? One of those things whose importance and value can be missed because it doesn't scream at us demanding an immediate response. Yet one of those things whose importance is such that if we ignore it, or pay little attention to it, like the ice warnings that night on the Titanic, that the consequences might be devastating. That's what we need to find out. And so to help us answer that question, we're going to look at the experience of one of the lesser known characters in the New Testament, a man named Thomas. So before we do, let's just take a moment and ask God for his help this morning. Well, Lord, as we come to you on this Easter Sunday, Lord, where we come to celebrate and to recognize and honor your resurrection, Lord, we don't want it to be something that is just a once a year kind of thing. Lord, we don't want it to be one of those pieces of information that just doesn't really seem to matter all that much. And so, Lord, I ask that you, through this passage and your word, and Lord, through, through your truth, that you would speak through your Holy Spirit to our hearts this morning, and that we might truly see what the resurrection is all about. And so, Lord, we ask you to fill this place with your presence now. Help me to speak your word clearly and truthfully and simply. And Lord, help us all here. Lord, open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning through this text. And all this I ask for your glory and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing that we want to look at this morning is the resurrection and Thomas. So who was this Thomas? Well, Thomas was one of the 12 apostles. He is also sometimes called Didymus, which means twin. And we don't know for sure, but some speculate he may have been the brother of Matthew and possibly his twin. Uh, if you 
when you see the list of the apostles in the New Testament, the names of Matthew and Thomas are often linked together in those lists. But Thomas was really not a headliner on the apostolic team. Uh, Other than his name being included among the lists of the apostles, there are really only two mentions of him in the Bible outside of the passage we're going to look at today. And so while we can't draw too much of a character sketch from such limited information, it would seem from these texts that Thomas was a fairly practical, down-to-earth kind of guy. He didn't seem particularly spiritual as a person. He really struggled to grasp the spiritual significance of much of what Jesus said and did. In the two places that we run into him, one of them is in John chapter 11, where in in John 11, Jesus has heard that Lazarus, his good friend, is sick, and he tells the disciples that he's going to go and see him. And the disciples really plead with him not to go because the Jewish authorities in that area are trying to arrest and kill him. But Jesus says, no, he's going to go. And he tells them very plainly, he says, Lazarus has died and I'm going to raise him from the dead. And you might think the significance of that would affect those hearing. But in John eleven sixteen, it says, So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. So Thomas doesn't really seem to get it. He doesn't seem to see the significance of what's going on here. The second place we run into him is in John chapter 14, where Jesus knows he is about to be arrested and crucified, and he's gathered his disciples, and he's telling them that he's going to be leaving them. He's going to be going back to his father, and that where he's going, they won't be able to follow now. But there will come a day when they will follow and be with him. And in John 14, 4 and 5, Jesus says, And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? See, Thomas just often didn't understand what Jesus was doing and talking about. He didn't see the spiritual meaning in much of what Jesus did and said. He certainly didn't seem to be one to over-spiritualize things in how he saw life. And so that brings us to our passage in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. So let me give you a little context for what's going on as we come to this passage. Um, Jesus has been buried in the tomb, and Mary Magdalene has gone on that first Easter Sunday, and as she goes to the tomb, the stone is rolled away, and she looks in, and Jesus' body is not there. So convinced that someone's stolen the body, she goes and rushes and tells the disciples. And Peter and John run to the tomb. They look in. They confirm that Jesus is gone. And at this point, they're just convinced somebody has taken him and done something with his dead body. So they go back to their homes. And Mary Magdalene sort of hangs around a little bit. She's crying. And as she's about to leave, the resurrected Jesus appears to her and speaks to her personally. And so after she sees him, she runs and tells the disciples and says, I've seen the Lord. 
And they, it doesn't really say how they responded to that, but my guess is they were probably still somewhat skeptical. And so later that day in the evening, all the disciples are gathered together and they're in a room. The doors are locked securely because they're afraid the Jewish authorities will come and arrest and try to kill them too. Um, and then suddenly in the midst, Jesus appears and he speaks to them and they are convinced now that Jesus is alive. But Thomas wasn't there that night. And so that brings us to our text. So let's look at chapter 20, verses 24 through 26 first. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So verse 24 tells us that when Jesus appeared to the other disciples on that first day, Thomas wasn't there. And in verse 25 it says, they told him that they had seen the Lord, and the word told here is really, a, it's in the imperfect tense as a verb, and it has the idea of it's, it's an ongoing, continuous action. In other words, they're telling him again and again, Thomas, we saw him, we've seen the Lord, yeah. And they're, oh, again and again, they're telling him. And Thomas says, he's just not buying it. And right here, if you've ever heard the expression, doubting Thomas, right here is where that expression comes from. But really, you know, I think Thomas gets a bad rap with that label because Thomas was no doubter. Thomas knew exactly what he believed. He was absolutely convinced in what he believed about Jesus being alive. There was no doubt in his mind at all. He says in verse 25, he says, Unless I see the marks of the nails and put my finger in them and place my hand into the wound, the spear made in his side, I will never believe. There was no doubt in what Thomas believed. He was absolutely convinced of what he believed because he had watched Jesus die on that cross. Luke tells us in Luke 23, 49, speaking about the crucifixion, it says, And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. See, Thomas was in that group. Thomas watched as they drove the nails through his hands and his feet and set the cross in the ground. He knew that the survival rate for crucifixion was zero. He saw as Jesus cried out, it is finished, and the life left his body. He watched as the centurion took the spear and thrust it through Jesus' side into the heart cavity to make sure he was dead. I mean, that's how he knew the wound was large enough that you could literally put your hand in it. See, despite all the wonderful things that Jesus had said and done, in Thomas's mind, 
It ended there at the cross. Because he watched Jesus die with his own eyes. And based on what he had seen, there was nothing that could convince him that Jesus was alive. So let's continue on in verses 26 through 29. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So eight days go by and Thomas has not budged on his conviction. I mean, Thomas is no doubter. He is just the opposite, isn't he? And once again, the disciples are gathered together and Thomas is there this time. And the doors are closed tight and locked again. Suddenly, despite the doors being locked securely, Jesus is there in their midst. He greets them and immediately comes over to Thomas. And he uses Thomas' very words to speak back to him in verse 27. He says, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. I mean, there is no thought, no word that is spoken in secret that is hidden from this Jesus. I mean, how Thomas must have felt at that moment. How strong his statements had been. How sure he had been in his unbelief. How confident he had been that Jesus could not be alive now. How humbled and foolish he must have felt as this scene unfolds. And Jesus says to him, Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. Stop being unbelieving and believe. See, Jesus calls him to respond to the reality of his resurrection. But see, now in this moment, Thomas has no need to put his hand out and touch anything. In that moment, it all comes together for Thomas. All the claims Jesus made about himself, his claim to be God, his claim to be able to forgive sins, his claim that he will judge the world, his claim to be without sin, his statements like, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. All the miracles he did, the healings, raising people from the dead, the power to walk on water and command a storm to be still, feeding 5,000 people from two loaves of bread and five small fish. In that instant, as he stands there, beholding the resurrected Christ, the fog lifts and it all becomes crystal clear. And there is... Only one response that Thomas can make to the reality of the resurrected Christ. 
In verse 28, it says, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He acknowledges Jesus as God. The word for God there is the word theos. It means the one true God, the eternal self-existent God who is the creator and sustainer of all that is. The supreme divine being who the Jews referred to as Yahweh or Jehovah. And he also acknowledges him as Lord. The one who has power and authority to rule. The supreme master. Thomas is acknowledging Jesus' right to have complete and absolute authority over his life. But he doesn't just acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and God. He owns him as his Lord and his God. He doesn't just say, you are Lord and God. He says, my Lord. And my God. See, it wasn't enough to just acknowledge the fact that Jesus is Lord and God. For Thomas' belief to be genuine and meaningful, he had to own him as his Lord and God. See, that's really what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is not just acknowledging the facts that who, who Jesus was and what he did, that he came, that he died on a cross, even that he was the son of God. The Bible says that the demons know that Jesus is Lord and God. And that certainly doesn't help them that much. See, biblical faith is taking those facts about who Jesus is and choosing to put your personal trust in this Jesus to be your Lord and your God. You know, that night on the Titanic, J. Bruce Ismay, the managing director of the White Star Line, it wasn't that he didn't believe there were icebergs. He, he knew there were icebergs. But he didn't believe it in a way that he would put his personal trust in that information such that it would change what he did. And so Jesus seeing the genuine personal nature of Thomas' belief, declares his faith as sufficient in verse 29. In verse 29, he says, Have you believed because you have seen me? So here we have Thomas' experience with encountering the resurrected Christ. But the story doesn't quite end there. And that brings us to the second thing that I want to look at in this passage this morning, and that is the resurrection and us. See, because this story, it's not just about Thomas's response to the resurrected Jesus. Because in his next statement, Jesus transcends this encounter with Thomas and speaks directly to each one of us sitting in this room today. In verse 29, he says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, those who have not seen, that's that's us. That's you. That's me. See, this story isn't just about Thomas. It's intended for you and me. In verse 29, the word blessed means happy, fortunate, well-off, in the best of places. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet 
have believed. See, what Jesus is saying here is that the resurrection demands a response from us just as it did with Thomas. Jesus is asking each of us here today, will we believe as Thomas did or will we not? See, there is meaning and application for our lives in this encounter between Thomas and the resurrected Christ. There are at least three things we should get from this passage that have direct implications for each one of us here today. Three things the resurrection should say to each one of us. First, the resurrection proves that Jesus was the Son of God. See, there was no doubt in Thomas's mind in that moment. He responded to seeing the resurrected Christ with the words, My God. The reality of the resurrection proves that Jesus was who he said he was. He claimed to be God and he rose from the dead as proof that his claim was true. The Apostle Paul says it in Romans 1 verse 4, speaking about Jesus, says, And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. The resurrection declares that Jesus is the Son of God. Secondly, the resurrection shows the position and authority Jesus has over each one of our lives. See, Thomas saw the reality of this in that instant, and he responded, my Lord and my God. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. He says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You see, the resurrection is the evidence that God has provided for us that Jesus is ruler and Lord of all. That he is the one who will ultimately judge the world and rule all things. See, we don't get to choose whether Jesus will be Lord and judge of our lives because God the Father has already made him Lord and judge of all things. We only get to choose whether or not we will make him our Lord in the same way Thomas did. See, that's what Paul means in this verse when he talks about God is calling everyone to repent. To repent just means to have a change of direction, a change of mind, a change of attitude. That's what happened to Thomas in this encounter. He, he went from unbelieving to believing, my Lord, my God. And that's what God's calling us to do in view of the resurrection. And then thirdly, the resurrection demonstrates that Jesus accomplished his purpose to purchase forgiveness for those who would trust him as their Savior and Lord. See, in that moment when Thomas stood there, seeing Christ alive and understanding who he was, 
he realized that Jesus didn't die as a victim of perverted justice at the hands of the Romans and the Jews. He died for a purpose. He realized what Jesus meant when he said things like in Mark 10:45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Thomas remembered how he told them again and again that he must suffer and die to fulfill the purpose for which he had come into this world, to die in the place of sinful people like us so that our sins could be forgiven. See, the resurrection shows that what Jesus did on the cross in paying for our sins was sufficient was acceptable to purchase our forgiveness with God and to bring us into a relationship with him where we are forever declared righteous in his sight. Again, the Apostle Paul in Romans 4, verse 5, speaking of Jesus, says, Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification? In other words, Paul says Jesus was delivered to the cross. He died for us. He died in our place for our trespasses, for our sin, to take our sin upon himself. And he was raised for our justification. That means that we've been, justification means you've been declared righteous before God. So the resurrection proves that what Jesus did in giving his life to purchase our forgiveness was accomplished. And the resurrection shows that Jesus was victorious over sin and death. The resurrection declares that Jesus has defeated sin and death. And he invites us to share in his resurrection life with him as one of God's children in his eternal kingdom. You know, this encounter between Thomas and the resurrected Christ, it took place over 2,000 years ago. Yet it's as if Jesus is standing before us on this Easter morning here in 2022, holding out his nail-scarred hands, saying to us, do not disbelieve, but believe. And when Thomas realized what his death and resurrection meant, he not only owned him as his Lord and his God, but his life was never the same after that moment. Thomas would devote the rest of his life to proclaiming this gospel message about a crucified Jesus who died for our sins and was raised, was resurrected from the dead. He would do that throughout Persia, which are places where modern-day Iraq and Iran are, and then into India. And he would eventually lose his life proclaiming this message as he would be killed by being pierced through with a spear for proclaiming this gospel message about Jesus' resurrection. And his story is really not that different from the other disciples. Almost every one of them would wind up being killed because they were committed to proclaiming this message about a crucified Savior who rose from the dead. And every one of them lost their lives in doing that. 
So why has God placed this story in the Bible? Well, verses 30 and 31 tell us that God put this story in the Bible purposely for us. Let's look at those two verses, John chapter 20, 30 and 31. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, this account is one of the many signs and miraculous works that Jesus did, many of which, John says here, are not recorded. But they all have the same basic purpose. The miracles of Jesus, I mean, today we can deny them or rationalize them away, but you couldn't if you lived then and saw them with your own eyes. I mean, you could attribute them to God or to the devil, but you couldn't deny their reality. And so what's the purpose of all these things? To show us that Jesus is both Lord and God. That those who did not see may believe. So that you and I who weren't there to see the nail prints in his hands and the wound in his side, you and I who weren't there to see and witness the miracles with our own eyes, that we who are not there to see with our own eyes might believe. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. You know, the implication in this verse is very clear. It's by believing that you gain life. Without believing, there is no eternal life. See, that's why these things were written. That those who did not see might believe, and in believing have everlasting life. And not just believe in some way that impersonally acknowledges him as Lord and God, not just agreeing with the facts, but believe like Thomas did, where you own him and you receive him and you put your trust in him as your Lord and you follow him as your Lord and your God. So let me ask you this Easter morning, have you done that? Have you gone from coming to church on Easter and just say, yeah, it's the resurrection, let's go to church. And, but it really hasn't impacted your life in a personal way. Have you gone from that to believing like Thomas did where you see that this Jesus, not only is he Lord and God, but you take him as your Lord and your God. You put your trust in him to be your savior not just the Savior, but your Savior. Have you done that? If I could have the worship team come. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. I mean, that's really the big idea of this story in this passage of Scripture. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. So where are you this Easter morning? 
You know, the resurrection, it doesn't scream at us. It doesn't demand an immediate response like some crisis situations do. But that's not an indication of its lack of importance or relevance to our lives. You know, the Bible puts forth its own iceberg warnings, so to speak. Places like John 14, 6 that we talked about earlier, where it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or 1 John 5, 11 and 12, it says, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Or Acts 4, 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You know, warnings like this, they aren't meant to oppress us or offend us or manipulate us into doing something we don't want to do. They're intended to rescue us and save us from danger. And we can ignore the warnings and we can keep going full speed ahead. We can think we're invincible and unsinkable just like they did on the Titanic. But if we do that, we need to understand that we're making a choice just like they did. We're choosing to ignore what this text tells us about Jesus and the resurrection. It's one of those pieces of information that we think just really doesn't matter to our lives. And the consequences of that choice, they may be far more devastating to us than what happened to those 1,500 people who lost their lives when the Titanic sank. So don't miss the iceberg warnings for your life this morning. Don't let this Easter go by without looking directly into the eyes of the resurrected Christ through this story about Thomas and hearing him say to you, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So let's close today by standing and singing and declaring and celebrating this great truth about the resurrection of Jesus.